Welcome to episode 34 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We are coming to you after a marathon of a baseball game. It was 10 innings long, but that does not reflect you know, the literal length and time nor how much of a grind this one was. Stoughton, I normally ask you what stood out to you I don't know if it's going to be an individual thing or just the overall vibe, but I will stick to that question in this absolute mess of an entertainment product. What stood <laughs> yeah. out to you? Yeah, there was, I mean, there, there's a lot to chew on from this one for sure. Um, stood out to me. Uh, yeah, the Kevin Gosman Babbitt thing. I mean, I haven't thought about it for about five hours. It feels like, but uh, uh, that continued to be, uh, to be a thing. And then of course, as we were talking about just before we went on air here, like, uh, uh, what how what a nightmare it would have been to have been a Red Sox fan and to watch your team have a runner on third with no out and the bases loaded in back to back innings uh, and not be able to catch a run uh, would just, would just be hilariously maddening. I mean, not uh, hilarious for me, obviously. Uh, not so mad. Not not so hilarious if you're a Red Sox fan. But uh, you know the Jays got some great work out of their bullpen. That was that was I think a key thing too. I know that's been a story all year, and uh, uh, we've been worried about the bullpen. We had you know we saw Anthony Bass had a great performance last night. Uh, he came in and got some key outs tonight. Jordan Romano looked great again. Um, that's real good to to feel good about the bullpen going into September. Uh, it's probably better to be in that position than it is to feel like not sure about the bullpen in June. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting looking back on this game because a lot of the things that were the most consequential or kind of, you know, uh, popped off the most happened early, right? And as you said, it feels like a long time ago, uh, which is something I guess the people who are listening live will relate to, less of the people who listen to it uh, later on. But that is the feeling. The Gosman thing happened ages ago. You know, the the Boba Shett thing, uh, where he made an error on just a, a totally routine play that ended up ca- costing them a run, and that's how the Red Sox ultimately tied this game. That's the sort of thing that could have come out as a major storyline here, and it ends up not being that significant. Although it is worth noting that there's a little bit of confusion around uh, Bo Bichette and his defense right now because you can, you know, I saw Sportsnet stats tweeted out he had the lowest DRS among all MLB shortstops and at the same time if you went to StatCast, his outs above average I think has been in sort of the 80, low 80s percentile wise um, and it just seems like you could ask people based on the eye test. Some people would tell you he's looked better this year. Some people are kind of in the bag with the idea that he's just always going to be terrible. It's a confusing picture with him, and this game would have definitely helped one side of that argument uh, look a little bit stronger, at least for a while. Yeah, I, I think so, except, you know, had were, was some, were someone to be here making that argument, I would be like, I mean, we're not talking about Bo Bichette and his defense nearly in the way that we, you know, remember last year there was a long time when it's like, why don't they just shift Simeon over to, to shortstop? He's a better shortstop. And that kind of quieted. And I, I think, you know, I mean, this year they don't have that guy there, though Santiago Espinal is obviously really good with the glove. But I, I just, I don't think that this has been such a story this year. And, you know, he's not a perfect defender, but, and, and, you know, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of warts exposed on his game this year. Um, but yeah, that was just a tough one. That was a sloppy play. Teoscar had a sloppy play that, uh, the, that, uh, that caused them the Reese McGuire triple, which I guess if we're talking about things that stand out, uh, that's certainly something I did not ever expect to see. 
They also the ball went underneath Vlad's glove at one point, fairly routine one that uh, that, that Kevin Bijou happened to be right there to back up for, uh, which was also crucial in getting through one of those like uh, I saw someone call it a Houdini act uh, innings. I think that you know that 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 both the uh, the ninth and the tenth were, or the eighth and the ninth were. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Bo's, Bo's defense. I, I think Matt Chapman probably because obviously he's incredible. Uh, does a uh, does a lot of work in like covering for some of those deficiencies of Bo and like just sort of you know, the, his range overlapping enough that uh, that 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 you know Bo is not as exposed as he would be if say Vladdy was over there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You're gonna have a bad throw from time to time. I don't know. That didn't bother me to, uh, any more than a, uh, you know that kind of stuff ever does. It uh, it is interesting that. We've talked about Chapman a lot in his defense and how, you know, there were times this season where it just didn't quite live up to the billing, although it's never been a problem by any stretch of the imagination. Over the last couple of days, you know, those Houdiniacs were in large part authored by Chapman. You know, he had that great double play there at the beginning of the 10th inning. He chased the runner back to second base and prevented him from advancing. Like those type of plays, that first out with the extra innings format is so crucial. And he got those. Uh, not only does he look like he's on, I don't know, we don't talk about defensive hot streaks and cold streaks, or definitely not hot streaks. We talk about cold streaks when guys are struggling. But he, he's on a defensive heater right now, and I do want to touch on that play that he made, uh, not in this game, the previous game, because it is truly one <laughs> of the most absurd, unlikely plays I can remember seeing. And the idea of completing a, a flip, is not that exciting theoretically. Like we say, like what's the most amazing defensive uh, highlights you've ever seen? It's unlikely you're going to say it's a flip. Like normally, it, you know, it's a dive. A diving catch is the most common form of that. Maybe an intense throw from deep in the hole or whatever, an outfield assist. But that just struck me in such a way because I, you know, I can imagine trying to make that play myself and just like the amount of heat that he was in. I think it was Chris Black was tweeting about the exact miles per hour on that flip, which I yeah. thought was pretty funny. But the, the, the fact he was able to put anything on it and it put, put it right in Bo's chest, I don't know, because of the context, we're talking regular season, um, you know, who knows what happens with 2022. I don't know if this is going to go down as, you know, one of the great defensive plays we remember for, you know, in Blue Jays franchise history. But in a way, I think it maybe should because it, it, that play absolutely blew me away. Yeah, I mean, it's extremely rare. I mean, you're right about the. Yeah, there's, I think, I'm sure there's some Derek Jeter stands. We'll talk to you about a flip. Uh, which, you know, you can't see me making the jerk off motion right now, but I assure you that I am. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I, that that was that was a really really special play, and the the way that he just makes it look easy is is is, uh, is a huge part of it, and a huge part of why. Uh, I think it's important, you know, and relative to any of this is important that you, you know, that, that you are t- taking the time, I think, correctly to to highlight what an incredible like act of skill that was, and like how just obscene it is that someone is able to to do that and to do all the other things that he does, but that one in particular, um, you know, just the just the just the thought process, just like the instinct to to know, okay, I can't. I can't turn. I can't. You know. I can't do anything else. I can't get my body in the position to make a, a proper throw, and to be able to not only have the wherewithal to do that, 
in the moment in a split second, but to physically make the flip and make it as perfect and as hard as it was. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's way up there. I mean, franchise history. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, there've been some good plays, but, but sure. What I mean, I, I'm at a loss to think of any real recent ones that, uh, that stack up. Yeah, I was I was trying to do some thinking, and then I ended up do, reading those kind of lists that I would hate to write myself. But you know, sometimes <laughs> you want to look it up. <laughs> like, what yeah, what are the most famous? For a while there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these things happen. No, yeah. yeah, I wrote about like the best half season in Blue Jays history when it looked like they were gonna have half season. Trust me, I did some pandemic things. Um, anyway, but one of them that that did kind of pop for me, and you know, there's generational aspects to this stuff too, but. When I thought of kind of my favorite uh, Blue Jays defensive play, I do think of that Josh Donaldson dive into the stands and the trop. And context is part of that. Uh, the fact that Marco Estrada is going for a perfect game in that contest and that that was to help preserve that. It also just kind of en- encapsulated what Donaldson was about. Like, I don't know, you, it's you know, in 2022, it's not popular to say a lot of positive things about Josh Donaldson, and that's fair for a lot of reasons, but you can credit him for some of the things he was good at, and one of those things was that intensity and that effort level and him kind of laying it on the line, and he, he makes pretty hard contact with a fan on that play um, yes, for a teammate uh, <laughs> fighting for historical moment. Again, like I don't think people are going to stack Chapman's against that. But when I tried to think of like what are Blue Jays defensive plays that I specifically remember and kind of hold in my mind, that was the one that uh, came to the forefront. Yeah, I mean, if I'll, I'll age myself here, and uh, it's funny that because you you mentioned we might talk about this, uh, uh, we we do we do some prep work. Uh, this <laughs> may surprise people before the shows, but uh, yeah, uh, and it actually got mentioned on the broadcast, which is the 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 triple play that was not in the '92 World Series when uh, Devon White made that absurd catch at the wall, uh, and then Kelly Gruber did tag Deion Sanders, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was it was not called as such, um, and that was like literally a jump off the couch kind of moment, which is easier to do when you're like 11. But all the same, yeah, that I mean, you know, that that one with the context of the moment. I mean, I don't think I, I don't think I'll, I'll I'll get too much of too much pushback from you. I suspect on that being one of the great ones for the you know in franchise history. Uh, but yeah, the Donaldson one is is I think right up there. And I, you know, who's to say what we end up you know, thinking about in terms of like where this, where this Chapman place, you know, that sits in that sort of pantheon by the end of the year, because like, you know, like had the Blue Jays made the playoffs last year, I don't know if, would, would we remember the, the Marcus Simeon, uh, the, the terrible throw against Detroit? Probably not the way that we do. Right. So, so that's sort of, that story sort of yet to be written. I, I don't know what the great defensive play of 2021 would be if we, uh, uh, if we had to think about it and it, and the Blue Jays season had gone a different way and it had sort of led to better things as opposed to sort of thinking about the negative side of that coin. Yeah, I think we've we've discussed before how our memories, especially as it pertains to the regular season, are probably not as good as we think they are. And so 
I do like to take time when these moments happen to think about, is this something we're going to remember? But the reality is most of the time, the answer to that question is no. Uh, and that's just because of our own failings as human beings. And there's a lot of things that come into our minds. This is the sort of thing for me that's probably, if Matt Chapman becomes a Blue Jay of some significance, franchise history-wise, which he easily could, depending on the playoff success, if they have it this year or next year, or if he gets extended, um, it's like some, it's probably ends up being more something for his reel than something for the Blue Jays reel, just because the context wasn't super important. But I can definitely envision a, you know, a Matt Chapman, I don't know, returning to Toronto in his age 36 season after playing with the Brewers or whatever the hell happens to him. <laughs> um, and then this is like a very a big high point on his reel. I liked, he was interviewed after the game and he said that, he was thinking, like, is this my best play ever? And apparently Danny Jansen specifically said no to him. So then he uh, he sent it down to the level of his best Blue Jays play ever. <laughs> I mean, the, unfortunately, since the, the MLB.TV games are, are blacked out here now, we can't watch the Jays on them, we won't have a chance to see it, like, 700 times between innings, like uh, – you know, like the Cespedes play or, or Bartolo Colon or, uh, or all, the, all, all the hits, all the hits that I'm sure anybody who has MLB TV will remember uh, instantly. You just see over and over. over or again. some weirdly mundane stuff like yeah. a Ben Gamble RBI single, I recall seeing like a million times, even though he's an irrelevant player. Yeah, they, I don't know, they did a bad job curating those things, we'll put it they, that way. Yes, that's almost, well, I'm sure somebody who wasn't paid enough to really dive deep into the archives uh, for that stuff. It's just like, uh, I, I, I got to pick a few. Uh, Paul O'Neill kicking the ball. Well, I could uh, complain about MLB TV and the lack thereof here in Canada for a long time, but I want to zoom back out a little bit. This is a big win uh, for the Blue Jays because it's just continuing this momentum coming out of the Yankee series, coming out of that Baltimore game, which does look pretty critical now, although it's easy to kind of retcon those things. What they're looking at right now is an incredibly important stretch, in my view, because after the Red Sox, you get the Angels, Cubs, Pirates, Orioles, Rangers. I'm going to treat the Orioles as the team that I think they are, as opposed to the team that their record indicates they are uh, in that list. If you've got a 16-game stretch there, what is sort of a satisfactory outcome in your view in terms of wins for that? Uh, and then how does that look in terms of putting together your kind of 2021-esque September uh, with potentially a different result? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, well, I mean, what well, satisfactory. Uh, I mean, you, you, you want to win 10 of those 16 which is, you know, maybe that's maybe light. I'm sure people are like, you should go 16 and 0 against the stupid pirates and Cubs and angels and, and Orioles. Uh, you know, you'll drop some in there, obviously. Uh, but it is, I think it's a huge moment for the team and, and for, you know, what they're doing here. And, and it gets, it gets a bit tougher after that. Uh, so it, it really is important to position themselves and, uh, and, and take those games and, and get everything they can out of these series. Um, you know, yeah, I can't put more of a number on it than that. I mean, at sixteen and zero sounds good to me, but um, yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, and, and what's what's also interesting is that you know, you just we saw from the reliever usage tonight, from the way that John Schneider is, is uh, uh, making substitutions and using the full extent of his bench, that uh, they are they're pretty they're pretty well shifted into into win every every game and do everything you can to win every game kind of mode. I mean, maybe people who've looked at some of the starting lineups will quibble with that. Um, but I think that that's, uh, 
that's good because those teams, like, you know what, it's one thing to, to play the Pirates in, in May and you're just, you're kind of saving some bullets. Uh, it, it gives them a little bit more of a chance to, like, rise to your level. But when you're actually, like, trying, uh, that's going to be more difficult for the Pirates. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, even, I mean, this is, this is not stepping as far back as you, as you perhaps would like, but, like, even I'm thinking about, you know, Friday's game for the weekend series, a lot, a lot of reliever usage over the last couple of days, uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of you say Kikuchi taking up a, an eighth of the the bullpen at the moment as well, uh, which is uh, which is which is not making matters any any easier for them. But uh, uh, I, I assume I don't know. It's going to be hard for them to to like take bodies out right without uh, you know. There's not a lot of guys. Zach Pop is gone. There's not really guys with options. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, you know, within the the whole idea that you know, this is this is what they're doing is that this is you know if the game is there to be won, they're going to do everything they can to win it, which I think is the right play. And I you know I'm glad that we saw as much Romano over the last two games as we did because uh, he's their best pitcher, and you don't want to you don't want to be given you know Boston just just dying to lose that game, and the Jays just wouldn't take them up on it for so long, so. Uh, you really do want to want to take advantage of that, and I'm sure there's going to be opportunities to win games that are coughed up by the Cubs and by the Angels and by all those teams ahead for the next little stretch. Yeah, I'm sure those teams will do a Red Sox impression at some point. Uh, and as you mentioned, just the way they treated this game tonight, you know, Garcia clearly they were very reluctant to use him. Like they didn't warm him up until they felt like they absolutely had to. And but they did do that anyway, and then you know it's hard to know what the result of that was, or maybe they figured that it was a bad idea to do it after maybe he said something. I don't know exactly how that went. We'll find out later potentially. But you know, Romano pitched fifteen uh, pitches on Wednesday. They don't love to use him uh, multiple games in a row when they can avoid it. It's pretty clear that it's kind of all hands on deck, playoff style, whatever cliche you want to apply to it. And you're right; it is the right move. You know, today. You know, both the Mariners and the Rays won their games as well. And both of those teams are, you know, very close to the Blue Jays in this wild card seating. And they have reasons. You know, Robbie Ray is the most famous one. Uh, but, you know, that we all know that home field advantage goes beyond vaccinated and unvaccinated players. It, it is important regardless of the circumstances. They're clearly trying to play. And, you know, the Yankees are in theoretical reach if they have a massive collapse. But they're clearly demonstrating that this is important to them this seeding because they I don't know if you could really cruise when team the other teams are more like two games out of the playoffs but they could have felt fairly comfortable that they were going to make this thing uh and it seems like they're pushing harder than that yeah I I think absolutely I mean you want to be at home and uh, yeah like you say vaccinated or not I don't I don't know that that's uh that that's the reason I think you know it's just you have an advantage playing at home I think and uh, the comforts, the crowd, and all all of that. I mean, it's uh, uh, you know they're going to sell playoff tickets regardless, even if they don't make the playoffs. You see that happen every year, so I don't know that it's like there's a financial impetus to do it. It's just you know you should be as good as you can, and you should think about the Yankees at this point because you know the Yankees have shown that they are. You know, I think they got Stanton back tonight. They they're they're still a very good team, but um, they're not what we thought they were, and. Uh, I, it's it's still not out of the realm of possibility that they can that they can collapse, and I think people you know something that's worth remembering is also that we kind of you know we think of the baseball calendar in you know just the way that it always is, but because of the lockout and the delay of the start of the season, 
I think the regular season doesn't end until like October 7th or something like that. It's like an extra week uh, of games, which is why the World Series could go potentially until like fucking mid-November. Uh, so that's, you know, you kind of think, all right, September, you know, there's, there's, there's four weeks left in the season. And it's like, well, right now there's about six weeks left in the season. So, uh, so that does give them a little bit more runway if they they really could make a run. And that I think puts these games that are coming up, it, it makes them more important than they would be at a different point in the calendar. You know, they're not like, they got to win whatever's in front of them, but, but there really is a real opportunity here because they have such weak uh, opposition for the next couple of weeks. When you think of those teams that they're in this wild card chase with, like you said, the Yankees are, it's a theoretical target, but you have to get unbelievably hot. You know, in all likelihood, this is where they're going to wind up is somewhere in this wild card pack. Like who scares you more, Seattle or Tampa Bay? Like who would you least like to face? I mean, for, you can forget about venue for a second unless uh, you really don't want to go to the trop, which I guess is a thing that <laughs> some people feel. Yeah. Nobody wants to go to the trop. I mean, like I think I, I would say on paper Seattle is probably a better team, but I mean I, you know, I mean, it's hard, so hard to assess Tampa uh, at the best of times, and I think this year with all the injuries and stuff, I think that they've been, uh, you know, they're 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 an interesting team. Like I, I mean, some of it is clouded by like Brian Yarbrough or or, uh, or but but uh, just the way that they their relievers function. But like I was looking through bullpen stats and team bullpen stats, and they're like they're they haven't had a great bullpen this year, and they're right down with the Jays in terms of like average fastball velocity in terms of like their their relievers as a group, uh, which you know I'm sure Tampa has found a way to to. to uh, to get away with, and I'm not going to lie. And when the Jays aren't playing the Rays, especially if they're at the Trop, I'm not watching Tampa. That's a, that's not just an ugly building, like physically, but also it's an ugly building on TV. And I don't want to think about the Rays. I don't. I don't care for them. I, I, I would prefer they they didn't exist, frankly. Uh, <laughs> so you know, I think that the, a, a Jays Seattle series is uh, is infinitely more more interesting and just colorful and looks better and is a good spectacle and, you know, send the, the damn rays to face the twins. That, that's, that's ideal for me, even though, um, you know, on paper, neutral venue, uh, maybe the right, I would probably say the rays are the worst team, but, uh, um, I, though that's tough too. I don't know. I, it doesn't really matter, but I think the Jays, Jays Mariners would obviously for me be the ideal one. Lots yeah, I think that would be a lot more fun to face the Mariners. Also, it's one of those situations where the Mariners have the more famous players, the stars, the guys you think of as being better, especially with the addition Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, the guy we know well, Julio Rodriguez, the rookies on the way up. Whereas Tampa is more, and this has kind of often been the case with this, especially with Wander Franco being injured, uh, is more the team that's kind of without obvious weaknesses as opposed to being the team that has these amazing star players. Like if you look at Seattle's lineup, the bottom half of it, you know, the Santana, Adam Frazier, Cal Raleigh, JP Crawford, like that's pretty unimpressive. Um, They kind of have their core few hitters and they've got good starting pitching. And, you know, that's, which is, that can take you a long way in the playoffs. And that, you know, anything can happen in a three game series. That's, kind of what's infuriating about playoff baseball in general is that anything can happen. Uh, and it's even wilder in a three game set. Like I putting a prediction on it. Sure. You can do that. But the reality is unless the teams are unbelievably different, 
that prediction is not really based on anything. So, you know, people who are listening are obviously the Jays getting the wildcard series are going to pull for the Jays. They're like, oh, the Jays are the better team. And that's probably true in either of these cases. Uh, that does not insulate you in a three-game series. Again, that's not a fun way to think about baseball. It's kind of a nihilistic way to think about baseball. Um, but I, I think if you're a fan, let me put it this way. If you're a fan of Blue Jays, think about who you think would be more fun for the Blue Jays to face because the difference between those two teams over that short of a span it probably isn't significant towards a final outcome. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think a lot of it will come down to the, to the Jays and, and, you know, where they're at. You know, Bo, Bo and Vlad could go like 8 for 12 or they could go over 12 and that will make the difference. And that could have nothing to do with who is on the, you know, who they're facing or, or anything. And that's sort of the nature of the sport. That's not just them. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just that's, it. Uh, two two or three games doesn't doesn't really mean much, and it doesn't you know you it, it's going it's going to be wild. It's going to be tense. It's going to be you know you're going to be hanging off every pitch. But yeah, I think that the it, it's uh, it is folly to uh, to try to think about it too much more than that, and and, and, and do anything but to sort of enjoy the ride and not worry too. I mean, you can't do anything about it at this point anyway. Really, I mean, I guess you can you could strategize a bit, but. Uh, or like play along with the manager and, and those little decisions obviously mean a lot. We saw that tonight. We saw, you know, the, uh, you know, a lot of managerial decisions went into that game that were, you know, not necessarily uh, ones that you would always see and, and ones where they, you know, they really kind of tip their hand about how they'll, they'll function in, uh, in a must win environment, which was interesting about tonight's game. And then we'll, we'll see some of that, but also, you know, usually your 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 horses carry. Like I think back to the 2016 ALCS where I wrote this the, like a, a few weeks ago or a month or two ago when I, when I wrote about that team, and it's just like, yeah, well, Donaldson, Batista, and, or I don't know if it was, I think Donaldson maybe played well, but it was like Batista, Encarnacion, and Tulo or something like that were just abysmal that series. They just they they just did not have it. The uh, the, the the Clevelands did uh, you know, did a nice job with them. I mean, Andrew Miller was obviously a, a insane at that point uh and that's really i think what made the difference it was a tight series anyway and it, it's just it, it just came down to like what the guys who uh who you rely on for the the main sort of core of your production are able to do and uh feel pretty good about a guy like george springer in that situation but with the younger players it's uh it, it can be quite volatile yeah, I mean, it's interesting because for a lot of Blue Jays fans, you have that recent experience of, the, of that odd 2020 pandemic season where they did get to make the playoffs and go to Tampa, and the Tampa team that they faced was way better than them, and the result of them kind of getting knocked around didn't feel surprising at all because it's like, oh, of course, like that team was much better than the Blue Jays team, and it all seemed very <laughs> the logical. Jays started Matt Shoemaker in game one. Yeah, it seemed pretty logical the way that went down. And yet, it could have very easily gone the other way, just yes. again, by virtue of how, like, I just, I, I would caution against thinking that the results we're going to see this year will be as logical as that. I think that people might end up being fairly surprised by, you know, the AL Central winner. It would not shock me if they were to beat a superior wildcard team, whoever that would be, uh, you know, potentially even the Blue Jays. 
because it's just a lot of wildness involved. But like you said, the interesting thing is to sort of think about the micro and the managing and all the decisions that go into it. And I'm glad you were able to find some theoretical interest tonight, because again, as an entertainment product, uh, I thought the game fell woefully short. (laughs) It seemed to combine all of the strikeout walk nonsense and slow game that people seem to have problem with in the modern sport with just a million balls in play that were all little singles, which was is is what some people think is really exciting, but personally, I do not. Yeah, and also, I mean, you know, the Jays if they if they ban the shift, the Jays will have to to recalibrate. But also, if they start uh, enforcing pitch clocks, and that really does come, it sucks to be you, Red. So- I mean, it sucks to be a Red Sox fan anyway. At least at this point in time, but like, man, that like it, it clearly is some sort of organizational philosophy or something, like because they are just interminably slow, uh, especially once we got into that the, the bullpen there, with, like what Barnes. And, and, I remember being philosophically opposed to a pitch clock. I, I, like I was very tied up in the romance of it being an unclocked game and that being something that set baseball apart and why are we kowtowing to all pe- the people's short attention spans and stuff and that was a stupid stance uh i couldn't <laughs> be more for the pitch clock now uh it's absolutely necessary good job baseball figuring that out um because yeah a game like this made it clear that that's exactly what we need um before we before we get out of here, I mean we're not we're not immediately on the verge of getting out of here, but it is getting late. Uh, I do want to touch on one of the uh, one of the developments in Blue Jays world that happened since we last talked, which is of great significance, and that is the arri- arrival of John Gibbons on the scene uh, for his Twitter account, which appeared over the weekend and has been uh, to use the sort of hockey bro parlance, absolutely buzzing for the last few days. Uh, has been an, an essential addition to the conversation and sort of, I don't know, in my opinion, everything you would want it to be. You you always worry that, you know, he's firing from the hip, so you don't know what's going to happen longer term potentially. Um, but, yeah, what is your first impression on the Gibby experience? Because it just seems like this is something that a lot of people – didn't know was a possibility, but is absolutely something they would have been asking for. And it feels like he's kind of delivering on the brand at a pretty high level. Uh, yeah. I mean, do we, do we have independent verification that it's him, that it's really him? Well, I mean, it, it began with a video of him announcing that he was doing it. So oh, did I, it? Okay. I, All right. that was the, fir- yeah, the first tweet was a video of him saying, I'm doing Twitter now, yada, yada, yada. So I'm, I, we're pretty confident it's not a scam account. Okay, well, well, we're, well, there's the first, uh, there's, the, <laughs> there's the first hurdle cross. Uh, I mean, just because my job, and just because of, I don't know, I, 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 I am fascinated by it on, on like a different level. Like, not, I mean, Gibby's hilarious. He's awesome. I, like, he, he was following me before I followed him, and I'm like, so who are the handlers here? Like, what, who is, what's really behind this? What's going on here? Like, Gibby doesn't, I'm sure, know who the fuck I am. Uh, and like, uh, like, like, and, and just for me, like for that to have happened means there's somebody, you know, there's somebody out there pushing this a bit. Um, and I'm very curious about that aspect and what that, you know, what that means and, and who's doing it and why, and what's in it for them and where, where this is all going. I mean, he's, 
he's a great personality. I mean, he, you know, Twitter's, I think, a great venue for him. I think the, that he's he's been killing it. The buzz is, uh, is warranted. Uh, it, it feels like his voice, which, uh, you know, not, not always, you know, not always the case. Uh, sometimes it turns out beloved actor Nick Totoro is just a raving madman. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know, but, but yeah, I guess I'm sort of fascinated by the machinations of like how it even all came about and what, what the point of it is. I, and, and maybe that's not giving, giving enough credit. Maybe he literally is just like, yeah, it seems like a fun thing to do. Um, but there, so there are a couple of, of pieces and i'm not saying that i have the whole puzzle here i mean one of them is he's got his like cameo or cameo equivalent thing like that's linked in the account um so i mean that might drive some of that stuff the second one and this is me just spitballing this is not me knowing for sure but i think that when he had sort of recently retired he would have hoped that another opportunity would kind of arise for him quickly at the major league level which i think would have been warranted he's been a solid manager for a long time with a lot of experience uh, and some success as well. Um, so I could imagine him kind of whether, I don't know, maybe there were offers or things that he didn't want to do and didn't want to pursue. But if, if that kind of avenue isn't, I don't know, open to him or isn't what he wants it to be, this is maybe like, okay, we'll do this other thing. And I think that he mentioned in his video that there's going to be a podcast to come. So we'll have a competing podcast. Um, that, you know, hopefully we can survive through the, the Gibby podcast coming through. But I think that maybe this is the shift from I'm looking for coaching stuff to can I be a, the fun personality and convert that into some kind of media thing. But I do want to give him credit because I think that I would have thought it would be just that, like, oh, link to my thing and get my videos and uh, and here's this podcast I'm doing. And it, it seems like, you know, he's replying to a ton of people uh, and just kind of shooting off thoughts and stuff like that. Like it is more interactive and more genuine than you'd imagine and less of the sort of bald branding play that you would sometimes see in a situation like this. Yeah. And I, I think his authenticity, you know, to go into the like marketing speak is, 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 you know, it's a huge asset for him. And I think that sure. Yeah. I mean, fuck, I would, I would pitch, I pitch being Gibby's agent to him and be like, all right, this would be one of the first things I would, I would suggest for him to do. Right. Like this, it, it, it absolutely makes sense that somebody, you know, is in his ear and is like, okay, this is a way to get a, a, a media gig. And he, he does do some stuff and, you know, he does the, the cameo type thing. I would, would, you know, we should be plugging it. I forget what it's called, but I mean, everybody, it's Gibby. Everybody knows that. Uh, I guess, I guess if he's doing a podcast, we'll, we'll have to try to get him on here before, uh, before he becomes an official competitor, uh, which is not a terrible idea. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I I think it's a, it, it's it's smart, and he's a guy who you know should have uh, a media gig of some kind because he's you know a, a lifer knows knows what he's doing, and it's just like a compelling, fun personality that everybody likes. Which is also tangent here, but like it's it, it just so bizarre to me because I was like I was like among the group online at the time of his first firing, being like, "Gibby got a raw deal," like this guy. This the like like Richardi did him wrong. This, he was he was pretty decent. I liked the guy uh, at a time when people were not to pat myself on the back, but at a time when people were like the fighting Ted Lilly and uh, can't run a bullpen, and it took a really really long time uh, and a lot of winning for people to come around to uh, to appreciate Gippy. I'm glad that they did, but 
Uh, but it, it still it still blows my mind that he that he's become a beloved big figure. Just thinking back to you know what the Gibbons conversation was for you know a, the first decade where anybody even knew who he was. Yeah, I mean it, it's pretty surprising that he landed here, and I think a lot of things go into that. You know, partly people's lack of satisfaction with Montoyo after him. Like if someone truly uh, amazing had come through who had just won a ton and was beloved, uh, you wouldn't get the kind of nostalgia for him and for those 2015-16 runs when that type of success has been elusive for this franchise, obviously, over the last sort of three decades or so. So him, you know, lording over those times. And then, you know, his earlier tenure, I, I, I honestly think, is less a part of the appeal at this point. Like, yeah, That's there's some, sure. like, we, you know, we remember those times, for, certainly. But um, I think it, it just adds to the longevity aspect and that he was, he oversaw it. And sort of the storyline of he did it and then he came back, like, that helps, I think. But I don't think people are like, wow, I'm really remembering, like, yeah, the Ted Lilly, <laughs> t- Lilly days. Like, that's the gimme that I like. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of people doing that. But I, I'm just. He's, he's just, he's genuinely funny, is the thing, too. Yeah. Uh, and like. Serial instincts. And like, like, I don't know. Like, he, he's got a great sense of humor. It's, uh, it's, it's, well, it's, it's well, uh, well thought out, get, get, raising his profile for sure. Yeah. And like I, you know, when I was covering the team sort of on the ground in more of a beat capacity, like he was the manager. And when you're doing that job, you spend a lot of time in the manager's office. You spend sort of one close to, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes a day there uh, before games. And then after games is more of a press conference, but before games is more of a hangout. Uh, and like he's, he is that guy. Like he is a very funny guy. Like I find a lot of times in media situations, uh, the press will probably be overly generous, perhaps, like laughing when athletes and stuff try and make jokes, largely because athletes aren't funny a lot of the time. And so <laughs> when someone is, there's like a sense of relief almost. Uh, but he was like a genuinely funny person and a fun person to be around. And so uh, I felt like it, that was a, it was a good intro for me to for that kind of like role. Like he was a very welcoming person to sort of start off with. And uh, no, I'm, I'm happy that the Twitterverse and Blue Jays Twitter, which, as we've discussed in the past, is not always uh, the nicest place to be, especially when the team's underperforming, which is a lot of this year. Uh, I think it is. I don't know if it's going to be raw positivity, but I think it'll be sort of positive vibes, whether it's positive or negative tweets. And I also think it's funny that he was blocked by Marcus Stroman like right away um, <laughs> because we've all been there. Yeah. I don't know if I've been blocked by Stroman. I was, wow. Uh, I, I got yeah. blocked by Stroman in like 2015 or 16 when I was like just starting out part-time at Sportsnet. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, it was enough. I, I wrote one piece about his slider and that was enough. Yeah, I was, I was too nice about him in the, uh, for a while, I guess, because he kind of – he would, yeah, he he was like he would like DM me at times. Yeah, like I wrote oh, something. I was like, because I think I was like he reads it. He read it all. He he definitely oh, searched no himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I I think you're right. I think the the, the Gibby, uh, Gibby. I, I think he's picked a great moment too. I think is what I was 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 going to say uh, because yeah, it can get real poisoned on there. I, I, I kind of feel bad. I'm like, Oh, I don't wish being on Twitter on, on anyone, like get off of Twitter. It's uh it's an unceasing nightmare. I'm also just like hopelessly addicted to it. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but I wouldn't tell anybody to like to start. So God love him for doing it. I, I hope he, uh, 
I hope he can go through it and, and uh, you know, and, and have those, like, defenses up and, like, know enough to block people and to, and to like, I don't know, just not take shit from people. I don't think Gibby's the kind of guy who takes shit from people. But, man, especially when you're, you know, as big, as known as he is, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of it and just a lot of, like, I don't know. People are, people are insane on there. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, before we get out of there, I just get out of here, there. I don't know. It's kind of a metaphysical thing. What, whatever we're whatever we're getting out of, uh, I do want to touch a little bit on on Saturday's game because it strikes me as one of the biggest Blue Jays regular season games uh, that you're going to see that doesn't have that you know win in in your in type of competitive importance. Because not only you have the 1992 30th anniversary team celebration and a bomber jacket giveaway that I think is a very big deal uh, because I looked into tickets for this game not for that reason. And they were sold out. Like it's a sold out game in the middle of August, um, which you basically don't see. Like you see opening day in Canada Day and then maybe at the end of the year if there's a playoff implication. Uh, you get that. And then you have also Shoei Otani is going to pitch that game. And this is me being pessimistic, but it occurs to me that there's a chance it's the only time he'll do his two-way thing in Toronto. Like we don't know how long that's going to last from an injury standpoint with the new ownership coming in, in uh, Los Angeles in the near future, it might be wise for that team to trade him before he walks in free agency. So maybe he goes to a national league team, you know, God knows how often he comes to Toronto. If he ends up being on the uh, San Francisco Giants or some random team, uh, and is he going to be healthy when they're the very, you know, once every three years when they're in Toronto? I guess he had the more balanced schedule now. But I don't know. It, it, it strikes me as a bit of a momentous event. And then you combine that with this, with the 1992 aspect. And I don't want to glaze over that. And maybe I am too much just because it's, uh, it was less part of my personal experience. But, what do you, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on a game where it just seems like a lot of things are coalescing at once to make it more significant than you'd think for a non-rival game at the end of August? Yeah, no, the stars really aligned. And, uh, you know, the, the, the jacket's pretty cool. Uh, but I think you're right. Yeah, I, and, and Otani, you know, we we see this all the time. And, and I'm not, I don't want to be pessimistic about it either. But, like, you know, he's... Like he hasn't had as good a year this year as he did last year, and it's like you know how like these kind of, these kind of things can be fleeting sometimes. Like I think he's going to be a, 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 a durable, like or not necessarily durable, but like an enduring star in the league and a great player. But yeah, like he is at a moment in like in his career where he is incredibly special, and and, and it's it's up against Alec Manoa as well. Uh, which will you know just make it that much more fun because I'm sure he will be up for the for the spectacle and, and is obviously a great pitcher in his own right and uh, and and has, has seems to have a knack for uh, for keeping his team in games and and you know I mean he's he hasn't been around long enough for like those kind of narrative things to really matter that much because it can all change really quickly but uh, but I think that's a great part of it the 92 thing like those guys being there I was I was tweeting about it I wrote about it, like Dave Winfield being there is really fucking cool to me because like that's a guy you know you, like no offense to Joe Carter but you kind of see him every year they're all at the golf tournaments they, they, they pop up at the dome they pop up on the broadcast they used to do flashback Fridays for years I mean that's going back a long time so I guess it doesn't mean that but it's like a lot of these guys are like I've seen Dwayne Ward like that's like this is great celebrate the team this is that's awesome 
But for me, it's like, but but Dave Winfield was just here for the one year, and it was like a spectacular, uh, incredible year that really meant something and really meant was symbolic and what also like was they won the goddamn World Series and like that's uh, uh, and and the Winfield wants noise like he was just such a huge huge part of that that doesn't get you know doesn't pop up on the TV broadcasts and stuff because you know he's. He's not exactly, you know, he's he's not wearing a he's not wearing a Blue Jays hat in the Hall of Fame, but he is in the Hall of Fame. Like, and, um, I think that's really cool, and, and and obviously, you know, on the field and the the importance of it to the Blue Jays, especially with all the scoreboard watching going on. And yeah, I, I you you can't uh, you could not have drawn it up any better if you're the Jays, absolutely, and uh, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, like it's cool enough in there that people can put on those damn jackets. Uh, though I suspect it'll be about forty degrees. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I mean, I just see looking on Twitter now, people are saying a friend of the show, minor leaguer, saying that the tickets are a hundred and thirty bucks on sort of I guess StubHub or whatever is getting screenshot there for five hundred level. Like that's the level of excitement around this game, and I think that's pretty cool to see. In a yeah, in a game that doesn't have a special competitive impact, it's the other things associated with baseball that have it, yeah, so ratcheted up. And uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not telling people what to do with your money, but consider it because it is, uh, it's going to be a special event for Blue Jays history. And then yeah, the Otani side of it, it, it might literally be that he's a guy you want to tell, you know, your kids, grandkids, whatever, relatives, random children you encounter as an elderly person, however that plays out, uh, <laughs> that you saw him live because it, yeah. he is truly this unique figure in baseball history, at least, at least right now. Who knows about the future? But um, seeing him live is is special. I think sometimes we forget how special it is to see players live because they're so much more accessible to us now through the Internet um, and on you know, seeing highlights on Twitter and all that thing, like things that were not available to fans earlier, where you really did not see the guys who are not in your league, in your division with any regularity. Now we feel like we see a lot of Otani, even if we don't literally see him. But I do think there's something valuable about, you know, being there, being live and uh, and seeing these you know historically important players. So, again, yeah. I'm not telling anyone to go out and spend one hundred thirty eight dollars for the sick throw 500 level ticket, but uh, it, it should be special. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I, I think you're right about the, you know, not seeing, like I was thinking about this. I looked this up the other day, or I didn't even have to look it up, but like when the schedule came out, you know, the giants are coming to town next, uh, next year. Uh, you know, the 2023 schedule came out and I was thinking about it. I'm like, I, I like, I was at the 91 all-star game as a child. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, like Will Clark started for the giants there. Or started for the Giants, started for the NL there. And it's like that's the first time a Giants player had ever suited up for a for a game at the Sky Dome or at, or in Toronto, which is a sort of like insane to me because it, you know because the Blue Jays have been around for quite some time at that point. I mean, like only like less than fifteen years, I guess. But still, um, yeah, it, it it really is kind of rare. And it, uh, the Giants sort of brought that back because I mean, you know. The, uh, that was a, that was a thing for years. I don't even. I think Barry Bonds played at least a couple series here, but it was, but it was it, 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 like if that. I don't. My memory is terrible for a lot of things like that, but uh, I'm sure he played here. Um, but it, like you say, it's like those the, the few and far between, and obviously that's changing a bit. I think that's for the better. But uh, but yeah, getting to see these guys who are like real true superstars. You know, like Will Clark. Uh, it's pretty <laughs> special, yeah. 
the Shohei Otani of his era. Okay, we will uh, we'll leave it there. It's getting late for you guys who are here live. We appreciate you tuning in, whether it's right now or people are going to listen later on. And we will see you on Sunday after the game. That is correct. Thanks, everybody. See you Sunday.